The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that raid Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode 465. Coming to you on Wednesday, November 30th. We are going to talk about the Pac 12 championship game. Yes, the Pac 12 championship game. Saturday, sorry, not Saturday, it's Friday. It's a short week. It's Friday, Friday night. Saturday, Sunday, what? <laughs> yeah, Friday night, 5 p.m. on Big Fox, USC and Utah, the Trojans and the Utes once again meeting for a Pac-12 championship this time around. Uh, it should be a fun one in Las Vegas. We're going to preview it, give you our predictions, talk about some over-under and so much more here on this episode, including the Trojans' quest to go to the playoff, ultra ball playoff, for real, for real. Mm, what uh, a as world. always, I, I know it's it's insane. Uh, as always, you can follow us on social media. Uh, we're at uh, Reign of Troy on Twitter and Facebook. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansite.com. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host. Alisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. We are back. It is uh, it is the biggest week of the year. We've talked about that for three straight weeks, but legitimately the biggest week of the year, is it not? Dare I say the biggest week of the decade? So we, we were having this discussion with, with our buddy Kenny from Traveler Hates Thursdays. Uh, he, he asked us the other day, like, this is the biggest SC game since what? Realistically, my answer was the Cotton Bowl, right? Like the Cotton Bowl was a huge game a couple years ago uh, against Ohio State. But like in terms of national title significance, this is the biggest game. Friday night will be the biggest game in USC football history since 2006. Uh, the uh, the game that ended with a score that people don't like to hear mm-hmm. uh, at the Rose Bowl against a certain team, where one game was going to put you into yes the game or the the games right. Yeah. If SC went into the Rose Bowl and did not land against UCLA, they are in the in the national championship game. Yeah, uh, they lost that one. Uh, now here we are, 16 years later. SC has a chance to get into the College Football Playoff. This is how big of a moment that is. It is absolutely insane to think that this is 
where USC is in year one, but they are. They are right here in year one. Um, let's just get right into it and just go right into the news, uh, shall we? we got to start with the rankings. SC is number four, number four in the college football playoff rankings, number four in the AP poll, the Trojans ahead of Ohio State. Uh, the Buckeyes lost the game last week against Michigan. Lost it pretty soundly, actually. I thought they were completely outplayed in that game. Crumbled in the second half, and they fall down to number five. Uh, SC is now in the position to win and get into the playoff. Uh, the number one seed currently is Georgia. Number two uh, is Michigan, who beat Ohio State last week. Number three, TCU. The Horn Frogs play Kansas State uh, on Saturday in the Big 12 championship game. And then SC sitting at number four. Uh, as it stands now, if the college football playoff started tomorrow, uh, SC and Georgia would be playing in the Peach Bowl, uh, which is bad news considering that game would be in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like, obviously, it would be good news because SC's in the playoff, but yeah. playing Georgia in Atlanta, probably the last thing you want. But- I mean, it's something the silver lining to that would be playing Georgia in Atlanta would take a lot of the stress away. Cause it would just be like, you're playing with house money. Like you're probably going to get blown out. Everyone's anyone in that situation is going to get blown out. So just like play with house money and see what happens with no expectations. Just, just hope that, that you're better than four, 49 to three. Yeah, pretty much. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, uh, but you know, the, the committee has talked about that this week still matters that the games here are bonus games even though Ohio State is on the outside looking in, they would still like SC or TCU to lose and hopefully back into uh, the playoff discussion. It would be interesting if that happened because you have pointed out uh, plenty of times this week that Dan Wetzel over at Yahoo has talked about it shouldn't matter. None of these games should matter this week uh, because if SC, TCU – Michigan or Georgia loses and you penalize them by dropping any of those four teams out of the playoff, you're penalizing them for playing a 13th game, a 13th game that Ohio state didn't get the chance to play in Mm -hmm. that Alabama hasn't won't get the chance to play in. Yeah. And, and for TCU and and USC, it's a 13th game. um, Well, and I guess Georgia 13th game against a ranked opponent in USC's case, a highly ranked opponent in uh, number 11, Utah. And so, like, I, I, I think it's a really valid argument. I think it's a sound argument. I think it's a fair argument. I also don't think the committee is going to give a crap about it. Like, the committee is not going to give a crap about fairness in that sense. Um, the problem that I see is that if USC had two losses, even though they played 13 games, if USC had two losses... Um, then it would be a question of USC's two losses were both to Utah. And th- what I think is going on right now with USC being ahead of Ohio State is the committee giving a nod to the fact that Ohio State lost to Michigan by a wide margin. They got their, their socks blown off in the second half. And, um, and, and that was a, even though it was a, a good loss in the sense of to a very highly ranked team, it wasn't an impressive loss in the sense that they really got dominated at a certain point in that game. Whereas USC has their one loss on the road by one point with questionable refing decisions that I think anyone with, with eyes could look at and say like, well, that was kind of rough on USC in a game that really felt like 
anybody could have won depending on how long the game was going to go. Like you end the game a minute earlier and USC wins, you end a minute the game a minute later, USC might win. You you know, it was such a toss-up kind of game that I think the committee is giving USC a nod there saying, "We think if given a second chance at Utah, you will beat Utah." But if USC loses to Utah on a neutral field in game 2, then that means that US that Utah is better than USC or or does have a have USC's number at which point you reevaluate the one loss between USC and Ohio State and Ohio State's look better looks better in in certain sense because now you've proven that USC validly or 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 um uh, straight up without sort of the question marks that were around that game lost to Utah does that does like, does that make sense in terms of like a logical? Are, are, are you saying that you think that the that it's easier to punish SC because theoretically that second loss in that scenario would be against the same team? Yes, because theoretically it means that USC doesn't get the benefit of the doubt of oh it was a one point loss on the road. Suddenly it's no longer right. a one point loss on the road. It's like no, you you got two two tra- two chances at Utah and they beat you both times. Like yeah, but but. The, the flip side is what excuse does, does Ohio State have against Louisiana, well, Michigan? And the other side of I this mean, they is don't. I, when, you, when you talk about just sheer wins, uh, and because this is the thing that I think the committee has talked about a fair bit, not just this year, but for the last few years, they care about wins. And when you look at who teams have beat, SC has beaten a ton of teams in the top 25 now. UCLA is there. Uh um, Oregon State is is now in, in the top 15. Notre Dame is there. If SC beats Utah again, or sorry, not again for the first time um, this year, that's another team there. Ohio State doesn't have all those ranked wins, save for beating what, Penn State. Like They, they don't have the, the, the series of, of games, especially on the bounce here in November when, when things matter um, even more than anything else that FC does right now. So I, I get the argument either way. I think that if anything, if, if you were going to say that if, if SC had, if, if Ohio State had a legitimate argument for the committee, then they should put them five, sorry, four this week and SC five. That's fair. I agree that, with that what they Kenny didn't at this point, puts it in a position where I have a hard time rationalizing how you take SC out and I'm sort of on the Dan Wetzel side, even if I don't think that that logic has to track. Yeah, and and, and like I said, I think Dan Dan uh, Wetzel. Sorry, it's Dan Wilkin. I think. Um, I think both Dan's. Oh, did both point. Dan's make yeah. it? Um, the, I think their argument is, it, like I said, it's sound. It's a really sound argument. I just think that the committee will put a one loss Ohio State in over a two loss USC, just without considering all of that other stuff. I just think that's yeah. the way it's going to go. I agree in the end. The way that this discussion sort of ends for me is I think Kenny put it perfectly in, in the chat. If USC can't beat Utah in two tries, they should not be in the playoff. So if USC can't beat two, Utah in two tries, you don't get to complain if the committee leaves you out of the playoff. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could we make an argument that USC should be? Yes. Could we make an argument that uh, Ohio State isn't as worthy as USC? Absolutely. Um, depending on how the other dominoes fall, 
if TCU loses or shockingly, if Purdue pulls off an upset on Michigan or if Purdue makes life hard for Michigan, if Michigan struggles against Purdue mm -hmm. and, and then you get into all sorts of other questions about how good is that win anyways, because Michigan doesn't have much of a resume either. Like there's a million factors that go in, but when it comes down to it, if you cannot beat Utah the second time, then you are not a championship level team that mm -hmm. can win two games in the playoff. So don't waste anybody's time. Yeah, no, that, that's fair too. That, that That is absolutely fair too. Um, it, all these arguments I think, you know, could, could have some logical element to them for sure. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what does happen on, on Friday and Saturday and eventually Sunday morning. And the other thing too, is what happens. You know, the, the, I think the, the perfect scenario for SC here is not only winning, but, um, somehow not being the four seed, right? Like, yes, because if SC is able to somehow play TCU or Michigan in this game, and uh, in the in the playoff, I think that changes things too. But what is it going to take to get there? I don't exactly know. Outside of those teams just losing on Saturday, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that comes to be. There's a a very, very, very narrow argument that if USC blows out Utah and TCU struggles and like wins at the last minute against Kansas State, um, that maybe you flip the three and the four. I, I don't personally see it. I think it would be a stronger argument, actually, if Michigan was the three and TCU was the two and Michigan struggled against Purdue. Then I think you could have that start having that conversation. Um because the argument you have against um, Ohio State with regard to USC is kind of similar to Michigan. Michigan only has that Ohio State win. They don't really have anything else. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's, but, it's all speculative. And we'll, and we'll find out on Friday. But like, the Ohio State win is pretty pretty huge for Michigan. I, yes. Oh, honestly, absolutely. Yes. Honestly, I sort of expected Michigan to go number one. I thought there was a chance. I thought there was a chance, except that the rest of their resume doesn't really add up and – Georgia is the defending is the defending champion, and I'll give that nod to Georgia. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let, let's let's get into um, talking about this game. Uh, well, before sorry, before we get into really quick, all Americans named by by PFF that came out um, yeah, today they're, Wednesday. They're early with this. I like uh, the first team SC has three of them: Caleb Williams, Andrew Voorhees, and really quick, guess off the top of your head. No, Kalen Bullock. <laughs> and, you know, not a knock on Kalen Bullock. I just did not expect it. If you had told me USC would have two players on offense and one on defense I for the All-American team, I probably would have been able to guess Caleb Williams and Andrew Voorhees. Yeah. And I absolutely would have said Tuli Tupelotu, and it would not have been close. But it's Kalen Bullock. And there's a lot of people asking why. The why to me is because PFF is a unique selector. PFF is basing it off of their season-long rankings, which they are doing game-by-game -game analysis throughout the season. So Tuli Tupelotu leads the nation in sacks. We all know that he, I've been saying on Twitter all day, like he's going to be an All-American. He's going to get in on some on some uh, some selector. But when it comes to PFF, there if he was going to get left off for anybody and if Kalen Bullock was going to get on with anybody, it was going to be through PFF because so much of it is just based around their metrics. So... Tuli Tupelotu maybe had too many games where he didn't have a sack, and then that's sort of knocking yeah. him. Also, it's it's entirely possible that some of the other defensive linemen that were selected for that thing just had ridiculous scores throughout the season. So 
Um, that's it, it's just the nuance of what of PFF. They're a unique selector. I like that PFF selects a team because it allows guys like Ronald Jones to get an All American nod when they deserve it, and wouldn't necessarily get it from the traditional selectors. And so I really appreciate them. Kalen Bullock is a, definitely fits into one of those that I would have never thought that he would get. He doesn't have the profile. He doesn't have the stats. I mean, he's got five interceptions, but like he would need 10 to, to get a traditional selector mm-hmm. to pay attention to him on that defense. But this is why PFF is it, it's sort of a cool alternate nod that, that you get. And also, like I just like to point out, USC now officially has three All-Americans selected this year. Mm-hmm. Three of those names will go on the All-American wall. I think you and I both agree Tuli Tupelotu will go up as well. So that's a minimum of four All-Americans for USC this season. USC had four All-Americans in total between 2017 and 2021, and two of those were both in, half of those came in 2017. Um, they're going to have four alone this year. The last time they had four or more in a season was in 2007 when they had five. And just because I spent the majority of Tuesday arguing with people <laughs> on Twitter about why USC was successful this season. And there were a lot of Utah fans and Oregon fans and other fans in my mentions talking about how, well, USC bought their team. USC is only NIL. USC is only transfer portal, blah, 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 blah. I would just like to point out USC is going to have four all Americans this season at a minimum. Three of the four were not transfers into USC. Three of the four are quote unquote homegrown players. Three of the four are players who were on last year's team who played and started for USC last year. And now they have come into their own. They have unlocked something special and that has helped USC win football games. Um, And I don't think we talk enough. I'll let you get a word in here in a second, but I don't think we talk enough about USC's offensive line. USC's offensive line has been banged up for much of the season. They have had to shuffle to different different fives in the middle of games. Mason Murphy has had to come in and play significant time at left tackle, arguably the most important position on a field next to the quarterback. And USC's offensive line has performed beautifully this year. And Andrew Voorhees is a very worthy All-American choice. Um, That is a credit to Josh Henson. Henson, That is a credit to all of those players who have risen up and stepped up and done what they've asked, uh, done what they've been needed of. Like, the development on this team is underrated. That's all I'm saying. It's not just the transfers. The transfers are huge. Don't get me wrong. But it's not just the transfers. Yeah, I, I... I have questions about PFF in general. I mean, it's not a perfect. Uh, it's certainly not a not a perfect I, selector. I like the idea of PFF. I, I don't always agree with with PFF's um, things, but you know, I, I think that SC getting the recognition is, is great, and I think that you you point out the the homegrown talent there, and then that is you know I, I think a very telling thing that so many of SC's star players on this team are not the transfer portal guys. Um, it reminds me of the '90s, and you know it's easy to to, to point at at Caleb Williams and say, "Oh, they're all NIL transfer transfer guys." Blah blah blah. blah. Well, look at the '90s when the Yankees were winning all those those World Series. Who? What was the backbone of that team? Jeter, homegrown. Mm-hmm. Bernie Williams, homegrown. Mariano Rivera, homegrown. Andy Pettit, homegrown. Uh, uh, 
Jorge Posada, homegrown. Like you go down the list. You have to have a core. You, all that core was homegrown. Uh, the, the Kings, when they 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 won um, with the Lombardi era Kings in in 2012 and 2014, homegrown right up right up the middle, right up the spine. And SC is homegrown on that offensive line. In the you can talk about you know Bobby Haskins, but Bobby Haskins is is a guy who hasn't played for for um, the entire season every single snap. He's one of those those left tackles who's been in and out. And look at USC's offensive line. These are the numbers. The Trojans in line yards, number one in the nation. You gotta love it. Standard line yards, number one in the nation. Pass downs, line yards, number one. Sorry, 38 minute, 30, 38. Sorry. I, Only 38. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I, I was getting ahead of myself because opportunity rates, number one in the country. Power success rate, number two. Stuff rate, number three. This and, is an elite offensive line. Absolutely. Yes. This is this is the best offensive line that SC has had since Sam Baker was in this thing. Yes. And full stop. It's it's worth pointing out that like this is there are so many things that go into this. Number one, you need to have the guys there, and USC has the guys there getting the job done. Number two, you have to have a scheme that gives them a chance. That's and that that's, I think is a huge thing. They have a scheme that is working in their favor. Yes. And how often in the past years before this were we talking about how like the scheme is not helping any of these offensive linemen? Yes. They're asking guys to pull who aren't good at pulling, or they're asking guys to to uh, to block, um, you know, one on one with uh, have Brett Nealon go one on one for an entire game with um, who was the nose tackle from BYU that just gave me nightmares. Uh, Kyrus Tonga. Uh, yeah, Tonga. 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 Um, yeah, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Obvious run plays, everything like that. It was just just annoying. But you see what these guys can do when they're given a platform upon which to succeed. And guess what? Mm-hmm. They're taking their opportunity to succeed. Yeah. And it's a huge plus to, to Henson and Lincoln Riley and to each one of these, because, and I put this on Twitter, like Andrew Voorhees, when he came in, he came in in a, in a recruiting class where I think it was four or five really highly touted offensive linemen. And Andrew Voorhees was the lowest of them. Not that he was a, you know, a, a nothing burger or anything like that, but he was the lowest of those guys. And he was the guy who came in and started immediately. And there were really lot high hopes for him in that first year. And then things just went off the rails, not just for him personally, but for the team, for the offensive line, for everything. And so it's really nice to see him and Brett Nealon and Justin Dietrich and these guys who have gone through the ringer in this program stuck it out, came back for COVID years, and are now getting their just desserts um, with these kinds of award recognitions. By the way, Brett Nealon, second team, good for him getting that recognition. Um, it's just really good to see. Oh, and I forgot to add, uh, for, I'm looking at a rundown. We, uh, Makai Blackman is in there as well. Yeah, as, as, as a second teamer. So uh, w- when it comes to the All-Pac-12 team, which will come out, I believe, on Friday morning, I think uh, we're going to see a lot more uh, names, almost all those guys, I would imagine, would yeah. be uh, first, or first, or, first or second teamers as well there, too. Um, all right, let's get into the game Friday night, 5 p.m. on Big Fox. Uh, once again, uh, SC is going to have the uh, the call of uh, Bedetti and, and Brock Heward. Um I love Brock Heward. I think he's great, um, and it's good to have him on the call, and Bedetti's awesome as well. 
uh, the voice of the uh, the White Sox. Um, huge improvement, by the way, for the White Sox going from Hawk Harrelson to Jason Benetti. Like how, embarrassing. How hard is it for you to, to now, give the give the White Sox Sox a nod of a? Uh, Hawk isn't calling games anymore. It's really oh, okay. Easy. So he's not. He's not it anymore. I mean, there's still the White Sox, but Benetti's great. Hawk Harrelson bad. Okay. Very simple. I don't have any opinions on these things. So you, no, you go well, let's, let's talk about this game. Uh, of course, um, in the first matchup, SC loses on the road at Rice Eccles 43-42, a game in which Dalton Kincaid caught 49 passes for 743 yards and nine touchdowns. Um, Kyle Whittingham, Utah's uh, head coach, currently in his 93rd season with the Utes, um, talked about Dalton Kincaid's status going into the game and said that he earned his risk against Colorado but is expected to play on Friday. Uh, and um, to be quite honest, uh, it was, uh, sorry, 16 catches for 234 yards and a touchdown against SC. Yeah. I don't. I mean, to if be, you squint, he might. You might see him catching, still catching teams. the ball. Yeah, still, um, still catching the ball, still running with the ball, yes. just still being unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, the the good thing I can say going into this game with regard to Dalton Kincaid is healthy or injured, I think it's fair to say he will not have that kind of production again, uh, because there is no way USC is going into this game and not having a plan to keep him under wraps, much like. And this is where it's going to be slightly useful. Um, Michael Mayer of Notre Dame was still had a success, but he was not able to do the unworldly, ungodly uh, sort of stat line that Delson Kincaid had in this game. And I think that's a sign that like USC has a better understanding of how to prevent something like that happening again. Yeah. So hopefully that is something that comes, comes into play here. Uh, obviously you can't, copy paste the game plan for Notre Dame defensively into this game because oh, I, can. I, I, I can cam I, rising is um, let's see. How do I want to describe cam rising relative to, um, uh, okay. to Drew Pine Th- who had a really valid. good game against USC, but like when it comes to cam rising and Drew Pine, like I, I don't think their head and shoulders might not be enough of a clearance to describe the, the, the danger level of those two quarterbacks. Yes. On a JT Shrout to DTR <laughs> scale. He's up uh, closer to DTR. Cam rising is next to DTR. Yeah. And Drew Pine is somewhere way somewhere on, near Jack Plummer. Somewhere near Jack Plummer. <laughs> yes. Um, similar success. Yes. Uh, no, I, I, you talk about, you know, the, 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 the game plan can't be the same, and I'm going to sit here and say that it can be. I know, I know what you're the talking spirit, about. Spirit, I think. I think the spirit of the thing. Yeah. Um, no, you, you, you've got to, you've got to keep Kincaid under wraps to a certain extent. But I think if anything has proven true in the second half of the season for the Trojans, is that the offense keeps getting better. They just keep getting better. They're, they're finishing off drives. Um, I mean, say for the first quarter of the, the UCLA game, I guess, uh, they are can, they are running at an insane pace. That's the big difference. They are, me. you know, we talk about them being number one in line yards. So much of that is because of what they're doing on the ground, independent uh, of Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams only adds to that when he's able to sort of 
uh, have his say in, in the zone read game as well. And what I think it ends up doing is putting so much pressure uh, or taking pressure off of the defense. And what we saw in the Utah game, the first go around was that there was a lot of pressure on the defense, but also there, there wasn't at the same time in the sense that there was obviously pressure in that goal line stand that SC could not get at the end of the game. And there was yeah. pressure on the, on the, the two point conversion, but you knew that in that game, SC was going to get their yards. Um, the, the problem was that the couple times that they didn't, it sort of backfired and put SC into a position where when the defense couldn't get any sort of stop, um, when they absolutely needed to in the second half, um, you know, it put them in a position where they were going to be susceptible to losing on a two-point conversion attempt, and they and, did. And not having enough time to answer is right. really what happened. It yes. Was- I think as the season has gone on, SC is just in a better place right now. I think SC is in a place where they can weather the storm better offensively because I trust SC to get more points out of that game. I think if you play the game – that. You play the the game over. You just simulate the October game with the current build of the the SC team. They score more than forty two points. Yes, and I think Utah might still score their forty three. Yes, in that sense, but I think SC scores more than forty two points, and that's where I can sit here and say the game plan needs to be similar to what it was against Mich- uh, Michigan against Notre Dame. Michael Mayer. You can let him be that dude. You can let him be insane. You can let him get his production as long as you are continuing to score. And I know that, you know, this offense first mentality is uncomfortable because it's it defies logic in the sense of defense wins championships. And it defies what SC fans are comfortable with when you look back at the McKay era, the Robinson era, and the, the, even the Carroll teams. With, with the insane 2004 and 2005 offense, mm-hmm. they were still defense first. This team is offense first, and they if they play their game and they do the grave digger offense thing like we saw against Notre Dame, where you put all the pressure on, on Utah to pull up, put up their end of the bargain and score the points as well, yeah, I don't think that Utah can still do it. Because SC at this point, the offense is just at too high of a level to continue doing that. The, the difference is going to be, can Utah be, run the ball more? In the first matchup, yes, they, they, they went after Dalton Kincaid, but this was the entire offense was Dalton Kincaid or a Cam Rising scramble. And those are two things that absolutely murdered SC, mm-hmm. but I think it would behoove the Utes to be able to run the football. The problem being... Running the football has been the thing that SC has been good at stopping in the in the last month. Uh, the Trojans are in the, is, I think, the twenty eighth ranked team in rushing defensively in the month of November. Twenty eighth is not top five or anything, but when you're talking about a defense that everyone on Twitter makes out to be uh, the the you know bizarro eighty five Bears, twenty uh, eighth you absolutely take. They they allowed only ninety yards against Notre Dame. They, they had Zach Charbonnet's 100-yard streak completely snapped. Like, they are holding running backs in check. And they did that against Utah in game one. 
Utah needs to be able to run the ball to win this game, I think, because SC is going, you have to expect that SC is going to put some effort into stopping Dalton Kincaid, especially with Bryson Shaw around this go around. And the difference being the running game from Utah is completely different now than it was then. Tavian Thomas is gone, but Utah in the month of November, the number three rushing team in the country. 306 yards at Arizona, yes. 279 against Stanford, 383 against Colorado. Yes, it's Colorado. Well, I mean, all three of those teams are, if you're going to stack some rushing statistics up, those are some teams that you'll do it. No, Not that's, saying that's that you, fair. That's yeah. fair. So maybe, the, so that's maybe, maybe a little bit of a, of a sort of mirage as far, but they are still a team that wants to run the ball. Yes. And it was surprising how little they tried to run the ball against USC, how quickly it was just like, okay, we're just going to let uh, let Cam Rising be the dude. And it worked out for them. So, like, clearly that was something that, uh, that, that they did right. But I think that in the absence of Dalton Kincaid being the monster that he was in that game, they will have to try to run the ball a little bit more. And this will be right. another test for USC's rush defense which clearly has stepped up to the table over the last couple of weeks uh and and they won't have to be factoring in Tavion Thomas who it's hard to say too though because at that time the thing I will give you in terms of that um that sort of analysis is that at that time Utah's run rushing offense was in flux because Tavion Thomas was playing but he was also playing injured Michael Bernard was sort of the second guy, yeah. uh, there was not clarity in who they were going to rely on at the time, and which is why, you know, against USC last time, Tavion Thomas gets eight carries for 28 yards. Uh, Michael Bernard gets uh, 11 carries for 37 yards. Tavion Thomas being gone, I'm not, I'm not going to say Utah's a better rushing offense without him. but no, I, think, I think you can. Tavion Thomas can. being gone clarifies a little bit that Michael Bernard is the dude, and sometimes having a dude is the thing you need. See USC the past two weeks. Because I, I think it's more than that. I think Jalen Glover has been a guy who, who's been absolutely productive as well. 62 yards against Colorado, 76 Washington State, 69 against Arizona. He's going to be another guy. The thing I like about Utah's running back group right now, Alicia, they're number one, two, and three. Their numbers? Their numbers. I wrote <laughs> this down beautiful. How, how beautiful it is. That's that's lovely. I and love it. The, the top three rushers against Colorado were number three, two, and one. In that order, Jaquindon Jackson, number three, 117 yards, and three TDs against Colorado. Michael Bernard is number two. Jalen Glover wears the number one. Um, no, yeah, I, I think that, yes, with, with Damian Thomas not being there, he might have been the, the best rusher out of all these things, but as a team, I think they're a better rusher. Mm -hmm. Since then, in the second half of the season, the interesting thing, I don't know that Cam Rising is as good right now as he was back in October. Well, remember, I, one of the... He one missed of, the Washington State game. Yes, but one of the sort of minor narratives that came out of the USC game was he did get injured in that game. Yes. And he didn't play against Washington State, and he's been playing with a brace on his knee ever since. Now, I did some digging into, like, is the brace on his knee sort of, is he hobbled or whatever? Cause I've seen people say that. And I've, I've watched I think a, That's a little overblown. I've watched a few of the games. I get the, is he hobbled thing because he was God awful against Oregon. Um, terrible against Oregon. So like maybe the Oregon it, game tanks the numbers. 
that's that's the thing. If you look at like his rushing numbers, they're pretty consistent from before that knee thing. Like he was still taking off and running, getting chunk yards against the other teams on that schedule, even against Oregon. So it's not like he isn't the same quarterback in spirit that he was tearing up USC with his legs. I still feel like he can do that. I think the bigger question that you can have for um, Cam Rising is the Cam Rising that USC played in that game was Cam Rising at home. Yeah. Cam Rising at home uh, averages uh, 300, sorry, 243 yards per game, passer rating of 161.44, 16 touchdowns to one interception. The Cam Rising that played Oregon, i.e. the Cam Rising on the road this season in five games, 233.4 yards per game, six touchdowns, six interceptions, a passer rating of 138.55. So Lisa, where's this game at? This was five road games this season. Where's No, where's Friday's game at? Friday's game is on the road. Friday's game is not in Salt Lake City. Friday's, Friday's so game is it's not a, in it's Las not Vegas. It's not at Rice Eccles. It's not at Rice Eccles. But I think this is going to be as close to a neutral site game as possible. I think that if if I expect it to be 50-50 on Friday. Uh, it will not big, be. <laughs> there's a big difference between neutral, though, and Rice Eccles. Sure, sure. On sure, that night. Sure. Um, no. Yeah, no, I I get I get that I, I get those home road splits maybe maybe not great and we've talked about it before that SC tends to beat Utah when they're not at Rice Eccles and and Utah tends to beat SC when the game is at Rice Eccles and uh, the the uh, 2020 2021 games not be damned those being the two different ones so yeah that that certainly um, could be a factor here. Uh, CKS in the chat says, I don't think SC scores over 40. Have you not been paying attention to the Utah defense since the first game? I did want to bring this up too, because Utah's defense since the first game has been stellar. They've been stellar the entire season. The two, the, there's really three blips for the, for the Utes. And it's the, the week one game against Florida. That's week one. I don't care. Uh, It's the game at UCLA. Uh, UCLA's offense, pretty damn good. Again, I don't care. And it's the game against SC. SC's offense, pretty damn good. I don't care. Beyond that, Utah's defense has been really rock solid. Where I think that, where I can say that SC's offense, I think, is better now than it was then, is that SC has has had success against every defense as they've gone along. And some of those defenses have gotten significantly better than ones that they faced earlier in the year. One of those being Notre Dame. We talked about it last week. This was supposed to be the defense that was supposed to not imitate uh, the the playoff level defenses that SC could play in the, in the playoff, but, but maybe give you, you you squint and you can pretend a little bit. Um, And SC passed that with flying colors. Um, They scored on nearly every single drive. Uh, and we're just getting points after points after points uh, per drive. And controlling the game. And controlling the game. Long, yeah. plotting drives, which is why, yes. I mean, they, they didn't score 40, but which they I, didn't have very many possessions. That was by design. But that's why I think this game could end up being like uh, the, the Notre Dame game. And, and I talked about it before, that to me, that, that Notre Dame game is the game plan for beating Utah. It's... 
yeah, maybe we, we talked about it in the car cast and we talked about it in the, the Utah fallout episode, should FC have gone slower and all that. And I think that there, there's an argument to be made for, for that angle. Either way, as long as you are finishing off your drives and if you, you repeat the Notre Dame game, I think that's the road mark because yeah, if you score 30 something points, but there's fewer drives, it's essentially the same as scoring 40 something uh, in a game that has more drives. Uh, simple yes. math there, I guess. Um, but the other thing is you, you take Utah's ability to just spam Dalton Kincaid away uh, and you, you, you finish off your drives yourself and you give the defense maybe some more breathers to try to get the stops that, that, that they can try to wield. And we know that this is the, mm-hmm. the difficult for USC's defense. But if you're able to get one or two stops, create separation, make it a two-score game, make it a 10-point lead, then you don't care if Dalton Kincaid has 593 receiving yards. Yeah, but that it's... I think what what CKS was getting at is that you it's harder to have that kind of consistent offensive production when you look at a, a defense that's playing as well as Utah's defense is playing. Yes, for sure. My rebuttal on this is the Notre Dame game. It's not me. just the Notre Dame game. It's in general. <laughs> it's when you look at Utah. What Kyle Whittingham has done at Utah is extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. What he does year after year after year is a reflection of how good of a coaching staff he puts together, how good of a coach he is, and what he demands of his team. Yes. He gets more out of less. Mm-hmm. The problem with, well, I mean, it, it's not even a problem. It's just the limitations of a Utah are that they are, I think, incredibly consistently good. In, incredibly consistently good team. Like I was looking at the stats getting ready for this uh for this this um, podcast and I was like coming away with like Utah's a really good team. Utah is a really good team and the margin between them being in USC's position right now where a win puts them in the playoff and not is very small. But the thing about Utah is that their limitation is against the elite team. In this case, the elite unit. In this, in these cases, the USC with Caleb Williams or UCLA with DTR. And it would have been really interesting to see Utah, Oregon with a healthy Bo Nix to see what Oregon's offense could have done if, yeah. if they had been under sort of normal circumstances. I, but I'm that skeptical game is to weird. read too much into that because of that. You, I don't think you can read too much. In, well, I, and again, in Utah's schedule is weird. You don't want to read too much in the Florida game because it was game one on the road. Yeah. You can't read too much into the Washington State game because that was the bizarrest game where literally everyone was injured and it was like, who's just going to survive this this bloodbath? And to their credit, they did. And I'm very impressed that they did. Mm. Um, the Oregon game, it, it, you, it's hard because Bonix was, I mean, on one leg. <laughs> like, it's just, you could see that he was not, the Bonix that had been the Bonix of the of the of the you know of the game previous you can read years. It too though, Arizona. Arizona. Well, that, that's true. Doing well, except Arizona is not does not have an elite quarterback. Arizona has a Jaden Delora who is who can tear up a a, 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 a questionable defense like USC's, but when he goes up against a consistently good defense, he's not going to necessarily going to be able to have a lot of success. 
To me, what's telling is what UCLA and USC did to this defense. This defense is very, very good, but it's very difficult for anybody without elite talent on their defense to match up with teams like a UCLA and like a USC. So um, I think that Utah is in a position to really prove themselves here, prove me wrong on Friday if they are able to slow down Caleb Williams. But I also just think it's it, it, it's it's almost unfair for a team like Utah because they don't have that ceiling that like Georgia's defense has where, yeah, if Georgia paired up with USC, yeah, they might have a chance of stopping this, this offense. Um, but I don't know that there are defenses in the Pac-12 who legitimately can stop USC without USC stopping themselves, which is, I think, what happened against Oregon State. Um, just in the sense of Oregon State is a really good team. Oregon State did a really good job against USC, but also like... Caleb Williams was sort of out of his mind in that game. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a hell of a, hell of a battle on Friday. Um, I, I did see the, uh, the tweet from Utah with the, with their uniforms. Um, Eddie in the chat said that they're going to be the throwbacks that they played against uh, uh, Florida and Oregon. Um, That's not what I'm seeing on Twitter on Twitter. It's going to be the holographic red helmets, um, and I mean, then the, they're just regular road jerseys. The one, the ugly ones with Under Armour decided to have ninety-seven stripes on them for some yeah. reason. So, of all the of all the Utah jerseys, not the best looking ones. The all white ones are no. beautiful. You should, you should absolutely wear those. Can I just have a complaint briefly about Utah's jerseys and jersey sure. design in general? Sure. Teams that over outline their numbers with like, it's not just an outline, but like their numbers have like three different outlines in them. Very, Utah very do that. Hmm? Utah's not. No, out. Utah's you, the jerseys that Utah wore against USC this year are not conducive to seeing numbers on a YouTube replay broadcast because I was watching a YouTube replay trying to identify some of the players that will be, um, taking on bigger roles in this game or, or well, it's a red, red number on black. thing. No, but it was a red number on black with a white outline. And I'm pretty sure there was another red outline somewhere in there. Either way did not translate well um, to, to that. Uh, Cause I was trying to track, well, let's just get into this real quick. Um, one of the big things that USC will be looking at when you come into this game is the personnel changes that Utah has had to, has had to have since the game against USC. Mm -hmm. So obviously we've talked about Tavion Thomas. Um, they have solutions to that. Uh, defensive end Van Fillinger is out for the season with an injury. So his backup Connor O'Toole will be playing. They both had three ta tackles against USC um, each, but Van Fillinger is a really good defensive end in, in the Pac-12. So they they will be missing him. Jonah Ellis, it sounds like he will not be playing the other starting defensive end. Um, he could be a huge miss for them. He had four tackles and a sack. He was one of the few guys who was able to get Caleb Williams down um, this season. And he has been replaced by uh, Mickey Suguturaga, who had one tackle against USC. And then the guy who I was trying to track, was he responsible for any of the big plays that USC had against Utah? And the answer was no. Is Malone Matele? who was the nickelback who lost his starting job shortly after the USC game and is now in the transfer portal because uh, Sione Vaki, the freshman, has been so impressive for Utah's secondary. So um, 
Matele had two tackles. He did miss a tackle, um, but it wasn't too terrible. And Vaki had uh, one tackle against USC. So that was just some in, some research I did this morning. And the YouTube video made it very difficult because it was very distinct, hard to distinguish which one was number 15 and which one was number 11. And I'm blind as it is. So thanks, Utah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some over under. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Prize Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Reign of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Prize Picks app with the code Reign of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Before we do this, we have to, of course, rehash the over-under from the Notre Dame game really quick. Um, not going to go over all these things. Not going to go over the analysis. Just run down the answers for everyone playing at home. Uh, I'm fine with this. You, you said uh, you said over-under four and a half carries for Darlin Barlow. Uh, I get that. It was under. I, I got that one. It was one. One carry for Darlin Barlow. Uh, I said over under 301 and a half Caleb Williams passing yards. You took the over. It was under 232. You said over under 37 and a half points for the Trojans. I took the over. It was over 38. Great line right there. Wasn't it? Yeah. You're right, right on the money. Right on the money. Yeah. Uh, next one, I said over under 4.91 rushing yards per carry for the Trojans. You took the over, and it was 5.2. Another pretty good line, I think. Uh, last uh, last one for you was 300.5 passing yards for Drew Pine. I took the over. It was at 318. And the last one was one and a half fourth down attempts for the Irish. Uh, you took the over. It was just one. It was under. So uh, for the week, I went five and one. Hell yeah. Five and one. One you step went one forward, and five, two of steps back. Uh, for the season, I'm now at 44 over-under wins. You are at 38. For the week, Alicia, this was a wild week in Reign of Troy over-under. For the week, huge shout-out to the only other person who also had went five and one, Cali Cat. Woohoo! Me Cali and Cali Cat. Cat, the only people to go five and one. Yeah, nobody that's else. Crazy. Nobody else got close. The robots are usually All way the better than us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, nobody got close. 
Here's the crazy thing, too. Last week, first place, Ryan from Arizona, third place, L.A. Fred, and sixth place, Jay Vandy, all went one and five. <laughs> I feel you, guys. I third feel place, you. Carrie from Chicago, went 0 oh and 6. Oh, Carrie, no. I feel oh it. 0 and 6. The, the, lots of movement. So here is the new top nine. These are all the people within four over-under wins of number one. Uh, number one, we'll start at number seven. Tied, tied for, uh, tied for seventh. This is seventh, eighth, and ninth, uh, with forty-eight over/under wins. Carry from Chicago, Jay Bandy, and Ocean Beach Trojans, forty-eight over/under wins. Tied for fifth, with forty-nine is L.A. Fred and Stephen Chad, tied there at forty-nine. Nobody is at fifty, but at fifty-one are three people tied for second place. Callie Cat, who went 5-1 last year, moved from 7th place to 2nd place. Big moves. Along with Moose Pants. Great name, by the way. And Randy from Redlands. All 51 over under wins. And in 1st place, hanging on, barely, is Ryan from Arizona. 52 over under wins. It's tight. It is tight. So, here we go. What's your first over under for the Pac-12 championship game? USC and Utah. All right. Going back to an old standard from this season. All right. 4.5 combined punts for USC Mm. and Utah. Both sides of the ball uh, last time punted twice. So it was four. But as we've talked about, USC's offense, USC's defense is probably more equipped to force a couple punts than they were at the time Yeah, with Eric Gentry being healthy theoretically and just sort of not being in the Dalton Kincaid grinder. Yeah. Um, Utah also potentially has a better idea of what to expect from Caleb Williams and USC's offense. Maybe the, the USC offense that we saw against UCLA where they were shooting themselves in the foot a few times comes to play. Are we going to see five punts in this game? Punts of any variety. Pooch punts are included in this because I am all aboard the Caleb Williams. If USC is anywhere near the 50, Caleb Williams should be the one pooching that punting. So, Pooching that punting. Pooching that punting. I like that. Uh, give me the pooching over. is winning. Give me the over. I think there'll be some defense in this game. Okay. Okay. I think there'll be a little more defense in this game. Slightly. Give me the over there. Um, I, my first line is was very difficult for me to figure out. Uh, I talked about it earlier. I think Utah is running the ball better than they have all year. SC is stopping the, the run better than they have all year. Uh, the Utes, uh, third nationally in rushing in November, averaging two point, sorry, 281 yards per game. Obviously not going to set the line there, but I'm going to go at 156.5. Utah rushing yards. They had 156 against Oregon. So will they outrun themselves against USC versus what they did against Oregon? This is the question. 156.5 Utah rushing yards. I am taking the under on this. Ooh, okay. I think that USC has sort of figured out that their game plan is just to do the Clancy Pendergast thing, take one thing away, make it more difficult. Um, personally, I would like to see USC take a combination of what they did against UCLA and Notre Dame, which is 
pretty much still the same thing. Um, just with the added, uh, with the the added. Remember, this is a Russian quarterback. Keep him in front of you at all times. Don't get too aggressive. Don't get too aggressive. Keep him in front. Keep him in front of you at all times. Just not something they did against Cam Rising, um, and I think that would certainly help uh, the situation. But uh, yeah, I, I think USC is going to be able to not let Utah go off on them in terms of the run game. I think this game is very much going to come down to what kind of damage Cam Rising can do. All right. Uh, what's your next over in? All right, I got 2.5 fourth down attempts for Utah, another old standard. Yep. Utah went three of three against USC last last time out. Including at the goal line. They have attempted four fourth downs in three games. They went three of four against ASU. They went four of four against Stanford. They went one of four against Utah, another factor in why they lost that game. So will they have one of their higher scores of, of uh, fourth down attempts by going above two? Two and a half is such a such an annoying line. Yeah. Yep. One and a half I'm taking the over. Three <laughs> yep. and a half I'm taking the under. Mm-hmm. Two and a half, though. It's rough. It's bold, but give me the over. Oh. Give me the over. I, I don't think that's a terrible pick because Kyle Whittingham has sort of just been uber aggressive on the, yeah. the fourth downs. And uh yeah. I don't know that USC is gonna get too many stops on the Utah side of the field um, to, to not give him that to option to go for fourth. All right. Uh, my next over under is going to be 1.5 cam rising interceptions. He has seven this year, which is not a lot, but three of them were at Autzen stadium against Oregon a couple weeks ago. SC tends to force turnovers. We've seen it, especially in big games the last couple of weeks. Cam Rising's 131.4 quarterback rating in November, his lowest in a full month since becoming the starter at Utah. Again, severely tanked by the Oregon game. Um, 1.5, Cam Rising interceptions. I am going to go with the over. Ooh. Against my better judgment, but you know what? Wow! As you've written here, USC tends to turn for, to force turnovers in big games. USC is capping games with interceptions when the other team is going out there and pushing the ball. And I, I, I and and Cam Rising has thrown all but one of his interceptions away from home, so. Mm-hmm. I'm going over here. I think USC can get two picks in this game. All right. All right. And if I'm going to go down in this over-under battle, I'm going to go down swinging. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your what's your last one? 90.5 Dalton Kincaid receiving yards. I lowered it a tiny bit from like 99 because we don't know what his health status is, even if Kyle Whittingham says he's going to play. That doesn't mean that he's going to play extensively. We don't know what's the status of his wrist. He had 234 receiving yards against USC last time. Yep. He had 99 receiving yards against Oregon, yep. 102 against Colorado. But outside of that USC game, it's not like he's like popping off for a ton of yards every time out. So is there a chance that USC is able to limit him under 90? considering that they limited Michael Mayer to 98, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it was 98. Um, I think Dalton Kincaid gets his in this game if he's healthy. Uh, and I'm a big believer in don't worry about that as long as you finish off. You, you do your own job on offense. Don't worry about it. Um, don't let Dalton Kincaid open up other avenues also is, is a big key point, I think, for SC. Um, don't let um, uh, the re- receivers start going off because you're triple teaming Dalton Kincaid also. Uh, so 90 and a half. I think a healthy Dalton Kincaid gets 90 and a half. I, uh, I think, a, but is this going to be a healthy Dalton Kincaid? Where are you going? Give me the over. Okay. Give it to me. Okay. See how it goes. Give it to me. All right. Last one. Uh, one and a half Caleb William Heisman pose events. <laughs> the keyword events. It's not the poses themselves. He hits three poses in a matter of two seconds. It doesn't count as three poses. That's one pose event. So 1.5 Caleb Williams Heisman pose events. Okay. The Notre Dame game, the Heisman pose events that he had were egged on by teammates. Teammates were egging him on to do it. And so he did it. I think that after a week of people literally saying he's he has won the Heisman, I actually think that he's less likely to strike the Heisman pose, just knowing Caleb Williams. So I am going to go under on this. I will be happy to be wrong. But all I want, all I want is for Caleb Williams to drop a Heisman pose in a picturesque area where, like, you know, he's he's running into the end zone and then strikes the pose like, where it's 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 there instead of like on his way back to the huddle with a bunch of teammates around him so that it's not like cinematic or whatever. But yeah, I uh, I'm gonna go under just because I think that all the Heisman talk will dissuade him from doing it this time. All right, I I could see it. I could see this game being so laser focused as yes. a championship game and yeah. the playoff on the line that you just don't even think about that thing. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. I, I could. I could see it. And sure. I don't. Uh, you have to correct me, but I think the Heisman pose he, poses he did drop were later in the game against Notre Dame. Once USC had a nice cushion. Yeah. And uh, and it's it, it's going to be harder to if have it's a nice a close cushion. Game, you might. Game. You might not. I'm just not going to see it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to the game predictions, folks. If you're watching here on YouTube, this is your chance to also leave your prediction. Of course, to do so, you have to like the video first. So we're going to. Wait a second. Go like right over here, wherever it is. Hit the like. Make sure you're subscribed. Hit the bell so that way you know when we go live and all of that. Uh, and let's get your score prediction. USC and Utah, Lockin' Horns, 5 p.m. Big Fox, the Pac-12 championship game uh, at Allegiant Field, Allegiant Stadium, whatever it is, uh, in Vegas, Alicia, Bill Connolly. His stats, the SP Plus numbers, have USC losing 32 to 31.7. By 0.3 points. With a 49% win probability. Vegas, uh, the consensus line right now is at 2.5, favoring the Trojans. The Trojans by 2.5 with an over-under of 67.5. Uh, if you do the little weird math thing, which we screwed up last week, by the way, 
um, screwed up our our. Not blaming anybody. Mm. Um, the do the little math thing that means I see like 30, 35 to 32 and a half. What's your prediction? I am going with um, USC 38, Utah 35. I think this wow. will be a very similar game to last time. I think that Cam Rising will make a couple of mistakes that. Uh, holds Utah back from from what they did last time. But I also think that USC's offense will have their own moments of, of shooting themselves in the foot the way that we've seen them do that at times. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it'll it'll come down to the end. I think that Caleb Williams will be the difference in this game. Uh, he will kick a field goal to win <laughs> at the death. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. No, 38 to 35. Uh, it'll be it'll be close. But um yeah, hard to say. 38-35, you have the Trojans. Okay. Uh, I think I fully think that this game, I think Utah is very good. Um, I I really like watching Utah. I, I think Cam Rising is a hell of a player, even though he wears the Vice's helmet that I really can't stand. But that's a whole other side plot. Um, Utah is very good. Utah's defense very good. Utah's running game, very good. Utah fans will be very loud uh, there in Vegas. This will feel like Rice Eccles Southwest slightly, except for there will be half the stadium in Cardinal and Gold ready for SC to go to the playoff. And the Trojans are going to do it because this game is going to be a repeat of the Notre Dame game, almost to a T but minus the field goal on both sides. 34-23 is my score here. Let me live in your reality. If you could sign me up for that right now, oh my gosh, I would, I would, Close yes. game, close game. Don't, don't, but SC one of those, by 11 doesn't mean that they dominated this no, game. No, but one of those, USC is ahead by 10 for most of it. And it's like just comfortable enough to not be like, killing you but SC also goes up 10 nothing in the first quarter battles it out the rest of the way okay that's 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 okay. what i said I, I want that yeah all right let's get to the mailbag we got a ton 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 of uh of emails and everything so let's get to the start with a message we got on slack from samuel who says they're going 11 and 1 in the regular season how are you feeling going in the pac 12 championship and whatever bowl game sc ends up in how will the expectations for next season change given the results of the regular season? And does the immediate success that Lincoln Riley has created so far create an unrealistic expectation for next season, especially if we win Friday, end up in the playoffs to which our, our pal Dan responded. I think this is Samuel's question in shorter form. Colin is next season championship or bust. Um, the short answer is from a perception perspective, um, yes. If USC goes to the pack to the uh if USC wins the Pac 12, if USC goes to the playoff, um USC will go into next season with Caleb Williams having won the Heisman. They will go into next season probably ranked top four, top three, depending on on what else goes on in college football. Um, if they win a playoff game then they will go in top two, I would wager. Um, not saying they will, but like I just think that the more you win this season, the more likely you will 
to end up next season with everyone looking at it. Well, you return the Heisman winner. Look at what you did in year one. You should get better mm-hmm. in year two. Um, from my perspective, I can't control what the outside expectations are. From my perspective, I will continue to look at it as this is still not a full-blown team. Um, this is a defense that needs to continue to get better. I think they will be get, they will get better. Um, the question is, will USC's defense get better enough in 2023 to negate the reality unfortunately that usc's offensive line is going to get significantly less veteran um losing andrew Voorhees, losing brett nealon uh potentially losing justin Dietrich, although there's a possibility of him coming back so that's potentially huge uh, i believe bobby haskin has no, ha- haskins has no more eligibility left so the core of usc's offensive line is leaving that means there's going to be an offensive line sort of feeling out period that may make Caleb Williams life a little bit more difficult. Um, That's just to say that I won't go into 2023 thinking it's, it's championship or bust, but I will go into 2023 thinking if the defense is a step better and the, and Caleb Williams is who he is, then this team should be able to win the Pac-12 again. And anything beyond that is a function of what happens, uh, of what we see during the season. Yeah, I to, to go off Dan's rebuttal of or rephrasing of it, is it champion? Is next season championship or bust? No. However, I I think that Sam makes a a great sort of uh, you know tossing it out here that yeah the expectations do need to be re- revised because SC is at least one if not realistically two years ahead of schedule for me. And as it stands right now, and considering that they go into next season, bringing back Caleb Williams, potentially likely the Heisman winner, you're going to walk into next season with insane expectations. But I still think it should be playoff or bust. I think until you are Alabama or Clemson, who has won multiple national championships, I don't think it can be like national championship or bust. You need to you need to win like if, if SC wins the national championship this year, you can go into next year saying championship or bust. But until then, it's playoff or bust. Uh, and I think that'll be totally fair. The difficult part is, you know, rebuilding the offensive line is gonna be very difficult because mm-hmm. in, in many ways this was maybe we're gonna look back in hindsight and think that this was the team all along because of the offensive line. So, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot to work out between now and then. Yeah. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Andy. Uh, I'm listening to the post, uh, Notre Dame car cast on Sunday afternoon, including your comments about the SC resume this year and thinking it isn't terrific to finally have a head coach in Lincoln Riley was walking the talk, i.e. regarding expectations of championships when he was hired. Like you have both said, it is all, is it always pretty? No. However, let, her, let us all just sit back and enjoy it. Great win for the Trojans. Best of luck to Coach Riley, staff, and the team. The Pac-12 Championship and beyond. Best, Andy. Yeah, this is why you hire a head coach who has proven that he can do it and not uh, an interim who had no experience before or hopeful sort of retreads or anything like that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Tim says, uh, hey, Rave Troy, happy championship week. Another list uh, of random scatterbrain thoughts. A few, a few episodes ago, you talked about the lack of respect 
I repeat, our big ass, and I completely agree. I, I completely agree. Have you noticed lately when USC puts out highlights, he replies with a link to his call of it? It's kind of crazy he has to do that. The official Twitter account finally included him, though. They put up his call of Corey Foreman's interception against UCLA and his call of a Caleb touchdown last Saturday when he lobbied for the Heisman. Speaking of Heisman votes, SC lobbied hard at the Notre Dame game for the fan vote, but I haven't seen any big social media push. Why do you think that is? Right now, Caleb is fourth place with 8%. Stetson Bennett is leading with 32%. I've been a Utah fan since Urban Meyer was there, and I really like Whittingham. I've sat next to some really cool Utah fans at games. I I know crazies are, are the minority and not to judge the whole fan base because of them, but what is going on on Twitter with Utah fans? Where did that come from? How cool was it to recognize the Neilon nudge as a season-defining moment when it happened? Uh, it will deservedly be part of USC lore. I can only imagine how cool it would have been if it was instead of six, it was fourth and nine. Uh, thanks for the awesome podcast all the way. The live format has been great. Fight on and beat the Utes, Tim from L.A. lot to go there. Start with the Arbogast stuff. Yeah, our Arbo's tweeting out links and it's great. Yeah, but uh, I would prefer if USC just put out a highlight yes. with his call for every one of those good calls. Um, this is something that like with my with my day job, this is something we are looking at more is people really like to hear the radio calls to, yes. to these big moments. Yeah. And so we're covering them more and more. And like the Vikings do a really good job with with Paul Allen, who is an absolute insane person in the booth. And it's so amazing. Like that's what USC should be doing with these these calls. They should have the highlight, just the individual highlight with Peter Arbogast's call. They will take off. People love it. I love it. You love it, Michael. We know everyone else loves it. Just just roll with it. When you're watching the game, you hear the broadcast TV guys. You want to hear your radio guy. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. To go back to the Heisman stuff, I, I think there there is going to be absolutely a social media push. Um, I, they, I also they've, doesn't, they've don't already think started the website too. Yeah. What are you saying? He doesn't need that fan vote. Is oh, well, yeah. <laughs> my perspective. Probably so. not. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the, what's going on with, with uh, Utah fans, is that in relation to like the NIL stuff? Is that what you're No, saying? that's in relation to what happened on Tuesday. Pro- I think Tim was in, 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 in and around my mentions. Um, yeah. The Utah fans, they've always been notorious for being around on Twitter. If like you mention anything related to Utah, they always come flocking in. Um, so that happens. I saw somebody tweets the other day that I, I retweeted, like spend enough time on Twitter and you'll grow to hate every fan base, including your own. Um, yeah, it's just amplified that the, the squeakiest wheels, the most, you know, insane ones are the ones that you sort of see the most. So I would default to your in-person interactions with Utah fans as your judgment of who Utah fans are. Um, and just sort of shrug at uh, craziness on Twitter because Twitter is crazy and we love it, but it is crazy. Yeah, I, I think I think Twitter. I mean, Utah fans, the vast majority are great. Um, and the Neil on Nudge, uh, Neil on Nudge. Yeah, that was always going to be a moment. Yes, for greatness when we saw it. Um, Darlene says, Darlene from Grand Terrace, right in. Since I'm usually on the road during the live YouTube podcast, uh, one year since USC hired Lincoln Riley, and I can only say things have turned out so much better than I thought. Than we all did, I'm sure. Uh, I can just recall the end of the last home game in 2021 against BYU so vividly, seeing the ball go short of the sticks and the Trojans get handed another loss as I sat among BYU fans. I slumped in my seat just like 
feeling surely things could not get worse. But yet, I didn't really have much hope that they get a whole lot better anytime soon either. Cut to Saturday, and I was stuck in line to get into the Coliseum. I know bad form since Alicia trains us to get there early, but in my defense, I had zero need to get there early for a while now, and Saturday it was clear and it all changed. I'll be early on Friday, I promise. Going to the Pac-12 championship game in Vegas was something I literally wrote in pencil on my calendar at the start of the season, figuring I would end up erasing it at some point, but I did not, and now I'm more pumped than ever. I was It was very not fun sitting through the terrible games last year, but I kept going because I can't help myself and I missed it after the lost 2020 season. I clearly am okay with torturing myself too, but all those games just make it even sweeter now. It's been so much fun, and I can't wrap my head around that this is only the beginning. Thank you for keeping me and the fellow Robbots sane during trying times. I love the community that you have built up and so happy to be a part of it, and even more happy that we get to enjoy our Trojans winning once again. Fight the F on and beat the Utes. Playoffs, baby! <laughs> yes uh, i love that darling darling thank you for emailing in we we need a playoffs drop we need a we need playoffs a baby drop playoffs baby point. drop we were just talking about like a podcast uh uh stuff that we want to get and like yeah we need to get our our soundboard back up and running or figure it out because then we can do our playoffs baby drop yeah. we couldn't do we're going to the ship we're going to the ship this year like come on let's go um, but yes. Okay. Number one, it's awesome. I know it sucks that you had to stay to stand in line, Darlene, but how awesome is it that you had to stand in line? Because that meant people are coming back to the Coliseum, coming to fill the Coliseum, excited about this program again. And it all does come back to that Lincoln Riley hire. Um, I went back and listened to the podcast that we did immediately after mm-hmm. I went back and looked at our text messages during that game. And it was a really, it's really surreal surreal and fun look down memory lane of the moments of like why is bruce feldman even talking about lincoln riley like what is his agent trying to get from lsu like just stop it to wait wait for real what for <laughs> I, is I, this real life i was still paranoid the raiders were gonna hire him away or something because oh me too <laughs> of the whole like cliff kingsbury trauma so yeah yeah and and you know, during that podcast, we were just talking about, you know, it's still a 50-50 proposition. Like, you don't know if things are going to translate immediately, yeah. like all of that. And then to be in this position, it's um, it's wild. It's incredible. It's beyond everything. So moving on to another email from John in Azusa. Hi, Alicia and Michael. This is more of a comment than a question. I saw Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham's conference championship presser today. He was asked about the turnaround Lincoln Riley has done this year, and he immediately talks about the transfer portal as if he has not benefited from it in any capacity. He made these same comments in his presser last week in the first meeting between these two, in the, in the week of the first meeting between these two teams. David Shaw also made similar comments. Are you both as tired as I am of this narrative? There is no doubt we benefited from the transfer portal, but to pretend that it's as easy as the snap of your finger to portal your way to a conference championship and a potential CFP is asinine. I think for these reasons, Riley won't win any Coach of the Year awards that he definitely deserves. I hope we show no mercy this Friday. I will be there. Fight on, John in Azusa. And I have so much to say on this, John. So I'm going to give you a second to to talk, Michael, but I got to get this out immediately. Yes, 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 yes. I am tired of it. I wore my my Star Wars uh, ugly Christmas sweater shirt today because 
if people are going to accuse USD of being the evil empire, then I'm going to embrace it again. I'm going back to arrogant nation um, kind of perspective because everyone is all over my timeline. It's USC cheated. USC stole players from other teams. USC's NIL is driving everything, blah, 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 blah. All I have to this, to say is this. See Texas A&M for how NIL does not equal wins and see Alabama for how transfers do not equal wins because Alabama added the best running back in the portal, the best quarter uh, cornerback in the portal to a team that was already playoff uh, runner-up. And we have seen this year that that does not is not the end-all be-all. They got Henry Tooto from Tennessee. Do you know what Henry Tooto would mean to USC's defense? You know what half of the transfers that, that Alabama has brought in would mean to USC's defense? And they're not in the SEC title game. Texas A&M is a dumpster fire. It takes more than just getting transfers in to be as successful as USC has been this year. We've said it over and over and over again. Lincoln Riley is not getting and will not get as much credit as he deserves for overturning a roster, more or less 50% new players, whether freshmen or transfers, and getting them to buy in to the degree that they did. To get Austin Jones to be, to be, to live through half of the season in the shadow of Travis Dye and then get his opportunity and do what he's been done the last two weeks. To get Travis Dye to integrate the way that he did. To get Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison to be interconnected that quickly along with every other receiver that's in that receiving core so that when Jordan Addison and Mario Williams goes down, there is no skipping uh, skipping of anything because everybody is on the same page. To see the way that these guys have integrated so quickly, it is spectacularly impressive. And they are not going to give him that credit because it's going to be like, oh, he just bought his roster. Well, number one, USC doesn't have an NIL collective like Texas A&M, so they literally cannot buy the roster. All they can do is offer players media, uh, sort of a, a promotional NIL stuff. So Caleb Williams could have could have sold beats anywhere in the country. Jordan Addison could have been in commercials for United Airlines anywhere in the country, but they chose to come to USC because they wanted to play for Lincoln Riley. And they have followed through by playing at a high, high level for Lincoln Riley with everybody else on this team, including those three All-Americans that we've already talked about who were inherited on this team, who were not transfers in. You had a core of talent that just needed to have an opportunity to succeed, and you supplemented them with some really, really outstanding transfers who were not just good talents, they were good fits mentally for this team. People are trying to just reason their way out of out of. The, the, the nightmare that is USC being good again. But like USC is good again because Lincoln Riley is a very, very, very good head coach. And you have to give him credit for that. I'm sorry, Michael, you can also chime in on this. No, I, I, I think that you, you, you make a lot of points. I'm sympathetic to the idea that the transfer portal um, is just going to, like the transfer portal and the one-time transfers is going to help the rich get richer and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And from Utah's perspective, I'm sympathetic to that general idea. The difference being, I think the transfer portal helps literally everybody. See Washington, Oregon, um, every Pac-12 team that is now ranked more or less has a transfer quarterback at the helm. Yeah, and then you, you, I mean, you, you, Utah has uh, Cam Rising, a, a, who was a transfer, has Cam Rising. But I, I think that when people talk about the transfer portal, they're more than anything talking about 
the guys who can play immediately. And now that it's a thing, right? And you look at it and for all the, yes, SC and Alabama are going to benefit from being able to get those guys. But also there's going to be guys who leave those schools that go somewhere else because they didn't, because Alabama brings in so much talent and there's going to be extra guys that you're Shane Lee's right. Shane Lee going to SC in, in this, in this case, right. A guy who gets a chance at Alabama, but then suddenly Alabama has so many five stars. He's got no place to go. Right. There's, there's guys like that. There's guys who are moving all over. Uh, Taj Washington is someone who goes from the G five to the power five for SC, but also that happens. The inverse happens too. Jake Hayner, someone like him who goes from, from Washington down to, to Fresno state, like those guys get more opportunities. Gary Bryant Utah is, is able to go out here and, and recruit in different ways. Everyone has access to recruit up and down vertically backwards, like any way you want to do it right now, the, the transfer portal, because there's going to be dudes who are over, over recruited, under recruited, get into a situation that don't fit, etc. So yes, SC is going to benefit from, from the, sort of the top line guys because they have a good coach right now and they have uh, a reputation and history and all these things, but you still have to win with all that talent and you still have to be able to recruit all the, all that talent. And I, the, the crux of the matter is what SC is doing right now is unprecedented. Part of it is because the rules have changed and no one else was allowed to do what SC is done doing right now in terms of bringing in all these guys and having this crazy of a change so quickly. But also when you change the roster this dramatically, it, like I talked about it before, like earlier on in the season, how many times did the Lakers go out and just get all these dudes, all these big superstars that you thought were going to be great and Dream they teams. didn't. And this isn't to say that stars don't matter. I'm not making the, the stars don't matter argument. I'm mostly making the, chemistry argument yes because in year one uh, like when you have a one-year chance of anything it's hard we talked about katie nixon being someone who was going to be a big a big piece of sc in 2021 and Mm -hmm. he came here and caught like one pass right like and and that's just one dude but like it's hard it's hard it's really it's really difficult yeah Uh, i remember 20 years ago brandon hance thinking that brandon hance was going to be the the next guy, he was going to replace uh, uh, Carson Palmer at quarterback. He lost to Matt Liner, and Matt Liner yeah. ended up winning the Heisman. And so the, you still have to do the thing. You still have to do the thing, and SC is doing the thing with, with the coaches uh, and with the players and developing and doing all of that. So Yes. All right, moving on to an email from Corbin. Um, we also got a, a question about what email you can send this to. It is Reign of Troy at fansided.com. Fansided, F A N S I D E D.com. So uh, look in the show notes, I believe, and you should be able to find it as well. Yeah. All right. Email from Corbin, Michael and Alicia. Hello and happy Lincoln Riley Day. I remember listening to your emergency podcast when the news of Lincoln Riley's hiring broke. And it was during the discussion of Riley's Heisman success that the significance of the hire really hit me. In that moment, I thought, If there is anyone who could really bring USC back to its old ways, of course it's going to be Lincoln Riley. I just couldn't have imagined that the expansion of the trophy case in Heritage Hall would have been a foregone conclusion inside of 365 days. That said, USC now has a problem, and I want your thoughts. 
the university just spent a massive sum of money restoring and repairing the Colosseum Peristyle, and it turned out magnificently. However, there are currently six sections adorned with six jerseys in front of them. When 13 is retired in a few years, where does the university place the seventh jersey? <laughs> does the school acknowledge the other retired number in the interest of symmetry? Or does the extra jersey get tossed to one side or the other, like a shirt that doesn't quite make it into the laundry basket? Thanks and fight on. Corbin from Oregon. Corbin, I hadn't read your email before starting it. And I had a moment of like, what is this problem he's going to speak of? And then as soon as it came, I was like, Corbin, this is this is wonderful. Thank you for this email. <laughs> Do you have a thought, Michael? Because my thought is just un- uh, bring back Reggie's five, make it symmetry, go uh, four and four and make them fit. Uh, I, I believe they will probably do something like they did last time, which is stack them. Um, but even if you stack them, it might be a little difficult. You have to just sort of get new ones printed and make them sort of resize them. Yeah. If you, if you stack them and then put an SC logo on one of them, mm. then you have eight. Even though they should... they. Make it eight. Make it stacked with with four, uh, two in each one across the four in the middle, and then you sell ads on the ends. When Reggie's something, I don't know. When Reggie's was in there, didn't they have like a blank, like a like an ad or like a another tarp thing that was just something? Or am I imagining it? I feel like they've I, had. I want to say like that muscle the other milk or something lower. like that. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Yeah. But there, yeah, there might have been like an SE logo in the end. Yeah. Or you just retire someone else, retire um, uh, Peter Arbogast's microphone. There you go. Or retroactively re- retire Tom Kelly's microphone. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Done. There you go. Done. Done. I done. like it. All, All right, right uh, Alicia, I have to read. This you have to one. read this one. Yeah. So Utah, uh, Utah, a YouTube comment we got from Half Breed on the Carcast. Right on, Michael. My guy. P.S. He had to straighten out Alicia. LOL. Crying emoji. Rolling on the floor. Laughing emoji. With her complaining about the defense. He said, wait a minute. This game here had less plays. He's speaking facts emoji. About the defense played better. I guess Alicia didn't eyeball emojis. The sacks. The interception. The fumble. Football emoji. Recovery. The several stops, two stop sign emojis on fourth down. Yes, she likes your she likes last year's team better. Kick knee emoji. <laughs> rocks rock emoji. Uh not a real all caps Trojan. To me, no matter what anyone says, I can smell nose emoji. A fake one mile away. Make that one hundred miles away, Alicia. Space exclamation exclamation. <laughs> Thank you for your dramatic reading of, of those emojis. Um that was from Half Breed on YouTube. Yeah. Apropos. There were some comments on YouTube from people who I think don't understand what my job is. Because my job is not to sit here. And tell you all that USC is the most amazing team that ever was and that they're going to win every game and that they're perfect and that nothing is ever wrong. And it's and that makes me a true a true Trojan because I because I 
don't i don't know because because i don't i don't know if you are watching this team and you think that this is a good defense then i don't know what to tell you because i have watched good defenses at usc and this is not one of them what this defense is is very effective they are opportunistic they play hard they play beyond their means they outwork themselves to be in a position where they're not a liability for USC. This defense is admirable. I love this defense. In fact, like I would go to bat for this defense. I have been saying all season that I don't give a crap that they give up 45 points to Utah. The the offense should score more because you expect more from the offense. I don't give a crap that they gave up 45 points to UCLA because the offense should score more. That's how much better this offense is. I hold the offense to a significantly higher standard than I do the defense. So like if, if, if you think that, uh, that I'm harsh on the defense, then you have not listened to me talk about this offense because this offense is incredible and they have not been good enough often in this season for me. So that's the thing. But also I just like, I just think it's funny that people don't accept criticism in any way, shape or form, or people think that like we are, super negative just because we point out that like yeah this team ranks like a hundred and something than scoring defense <laughs> like, that's just a fact guys i'm sorry i mean the, well the, the the thing about podcast criticism it tends to be um half people upset that we are saying positive things yeah and half that we are saying negative things um at the same time so yeah so can't win can't win in a lot of ways but um that's that's why you, you come to us because we know that we're mm-hmm. we're gonna be honest and mm-hmm. fair to what we deem to be fair. Yeah. So um And we're not gonna change. I, I'm I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that USC has a good defense. Yeah. I won't use the word good to describe this defense. I'm sorry. You can disagree with me, but I will not do it. Um so right. that's just me. We we got a bunch of questions here. We've been going for an hour and a half. It's the longest episode of all time. Uh, we <laughs> well, it's got, a combo episode. We didn't record on I, Monday. This I, is what happens. I know. We got a bunch of questions on YouTube. So we're going to go rapid fire on YouTube here to wrap this thing out. So are you ready, Alicia? Yes. Rapid fire. Jim says, do we have any significant players injured or likely not to play on Friday? We do not have word on Raylan Goforth or Andrew Voorhees or I think Justin Dedich has been playing through a thing. So the injuries are not public. Raider Trojan, who do you think we end up with a better matchup against Michigan or Georgia? Who do Mi- we match up better against? Michigan. Georgia's defense is the last thing that USC wants to play. That that's my yes. is my opinion. I think I think USC could go could give Michigan some trouble, but Georgia's defense is is the kryptonite, I think. I, I fear for, for USC's offense. Yes, Michigan's great, insanely great defense. Yeah, Georgia feels like a generationally great defense. Yeah, uh, fighting on MC. Um, does USC stand a chance of beating the, any of the other three championship teams? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I, absolutely. You can. I would love to see the the SCTC TCU game would be insane. SCTCU would be so much fun. Make it happen. Yeah, it would be beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Dave the Greater, uh, how did Utah get in instead of Washington? Uh, it forced there was a three way to first of all, the Pac 12 decided to go to so no d- d- divisions, scrapping the divisions is what screwed Washington more than anything. Washington yeah. would have been in. Um, but it was there's was a three way tie at seven and two between Oregon, Utah, and Washington. 
since Washington did not play Utah, they couldn't go around the horn with the with the head-to-head, so they had to go to a bunch of tiebreakers. It ended up being that Utah was the uh, the winner of that, based on like um, common opponents, and that's because they all played uh, ASU, I believe. Yes, and Washington lost to ASU. And if I remember correctly, that is the the deciding factor. Washington's lost to ASU, which made no sense. Which, in general, Washington's biggest problem, yes, is that they lost to ASU. Because yeah. if not, then they were they would be where USC. There's is. a realistic chance that they are number four in the country, and yeah. SC is number five in the country, just based on when they lost the first game. Mm-hmm. They would have probably been slightly ahead. Um, and then it's number four versus number five for a chance to to go to the playoff. Mm-hmm. Oh, it would have been the greatest game in the history of the Pac-12. Yep. But alas, ASU. not the case. Uh, SJ, let's say the TCU and USC both win. Georgia both Georgia and Michigan both lose. How would you seed the final four? In that scenario, Michigan is fourth. That's the, the only thing I know because losing to Purdue is bad. Um, Does it just inverse the thing? I So here's the problem. USC, I think, is solidly third. Um, TCU and Georgia, I personally would have TCU first and knock Georgia for the loss. Um, TCU being undefeated, at a certain point, you have to give them credit for that. But uh, I, I don't know if the committee would do that. Yeah, I think it ends up being TCU 1, SC 2. I think Georgia's still 2. Uh, so Georgia two, SC three. Either either way, it's still SC it's Georgia. It's still the worst case scenario. It's still the for same USC. matchups. It's the worst case scenario for USC. Yeah. S- uh, Although not the worst case because two three means Georgia won't be in Atlanta. I assume, or will they? I don't know. I don't know how the uh, locations they, work. They still would they still be in Atlanta? Be. So it, either maybe, way, yeah. Because uh, yeah. uh, the number one would be TCU, and TCU would, would probably be in want the Fiesta. Fiesta. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seagas says, is SC going to double or triple team Kincaid? Who do they leave open if they, uh, uh they're going to leave somebody open if they do so. Perhaps Utah is hoping SC uses two or three defenders on him. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely what Utah is going to hope. And if they do that, can, can, can Vele get, uh, a big part of this. Devon Vele had some big catches in that game against USC. Uh, he had he had like two or three. He right? had five catches for five? sixty-two yards and a touchdown. Uh, he was targeted ten times, so I don't, know, I don't remember what happened on those targets. Um, but yeah, Vele is, I think, the one that sort of stands out as the guy who would. Um, Solomon Enos targeted ten times. Yeah, he was targeted. To, at least this is according to the. Um, yeah. To the game book. Yeah, I'm just pulled it up now. Yeah. Solomon Crazy. Enos only had one catch for nine yards on three targets. He is somebody who could definitely benefit and have a much bigger game this time around if yeah. uh, if Kincaid isn't going off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kenny says, can we have the 2018 OU talk tonight? We're doing rapid fire. So get, can, can you keep it okay. to like 20 seconds? Yes. Okay. 2018 OU somehow had a worse defense than USC did. Offense on par with USC. Same profile of team. Ridiculous offense. Shaky defense, but they are opportunists and get the job done. Yeah, they too go into the conference title game. I think they were ranked five, USC's ranked four, but needing to avenge a narrow loss to a conference rival. They had lost to Texas by three points. They go into the conference title game, avenge that loss, propel into the playoff. 
USC going into a conference title game with the playoff on the line. They need to avenge their narrow loss in order to lock in a place in the playoff. Um, that team loses to Alabama in the playoff. Um, bad first quarter. Yeah, bad first quarter. Just didn't get it going. So I don't know if that's a, a, a comparison that we want to make at this point. But it is really interesting that Lincoln Riley, obviously the head coach of that Oklahoma team, very, very similar profile to a team that looks like it's headed for the playoff. Yeah, it does feel a lot the same way. And uh, Kyler Murray won the, the, the Heisman, Heisman sort the, of late in the season. Yeah, he was sort of came on the last two, three weeks of suddenly it's like, well, he was sort of lurking and then suddenly was like, oh, he's going to win it and a runaway winner. That's kind of the same way with Caleb Williams. Yes. Like the whole season was Strout, 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 and then all of a sudden, Henry Hooker, Henry Hooker, and then it's Caleb Williams yeah. again. Uh, Steve Unger says, do you two, two ever argue about broadcast? Sorry. Do you two ever argue after the broadcast about positions taken? We do not ever argue about positions taken. The only thing we argue about is who interrupted who more. Yes. Constantly. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was making a really good point and you just, you just had to keep going, didn't you? And then we argue about lasagna, of course. Yes. Uh, Michael says, uh, Michael Velasquez says, serious question. If Utah plays their best game of the season on Friday, so does SC. Who wins? SC. I think so, too. Uh, Jack says, how similarly do you think Friday's game will be to our loss earlier in the year? Uh, I think it will be similar in that I still think it will be a game where the offenses are dictating the, the pace of play. Um, but uh, it's it's also hard to say. I, I think it'll be close in that, yes, the, the offenses will move up and down, but I still think that teams will settle for field goals this time, and those field goals will be the damning ones. I'm quite certain that USC won't start 14 to nothing, though. Because that was something that like shook me, is that I forgot that USC it, started it 14 to nothing, was, and then I... It was 14 to nothing. It should have been 21 to 7. And then I dropped a line in text messages and slacks that I instantly regretted about how USC was going to the playoff, which turned out to potentially in still hindsight. be true. In but hindsight. Uh, in hindsight, yeah, I, I, I might have jinxed Lance says, when SC gets to the national championship, will you two at least go to the stadium and do a true car cast after the win? Okay. Hopefully. Okay. There is, there is dreaming. There is dreaming. We'll, we'll see. So we'll see. Uh, Jack, question How will Friday's game? Um, play out if SC can lock up Kincaid and the defense shows up like we need needed them to uh, like they did last week. And if that's the case, then I think SC wins this game uh, comfortably. Comfortably doesn't mean like by 30 points, but like comfortably maybe like the Notre Dame game. Win. Exactly. I think if USC shuts down, well, not shuts down, keeps him limited and, uh, and, and comes to play the way that the defense did against Notre Dame, then USC will potentially have a two score lead for most of the game and just have to match at a certain point what Utah does. Shooter says my first time here tonight. I'm used to listening to the podcast. I'm glad I found you kids. Thumbs up. Thank you. Hi Sergio. Uh, one of my favorite things is just like randomly as we go through the fall, people popping in going like, Hey, you guys. And it's like, yeah, welcome back. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, Michael again, Michael Velasquez really Brown breakout game Friday night. Anyone? Hey, it's been it, – I don't think we ever talked about Austin Jones's name in this game, uh, in this podcast, uh, an hour and 40 minutes into it. Austin Jones has been the Austin Jones show. SC's best player, not named Caleb Williams the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. 
Um, if that continues to be, it's going to be very difficult for Relique Brown to get on the field and have a breakout game. But but Relique scored the touchdown. He did. And uh, you can use him like that. So I, I want to see him at least get a few opportunities, and then we'll see if he breaks them. Yeah, Jax, um, Jax, do you think that if the defense shows up like they did, that SC can win by 10-plus? I think it's possible. I, well, my prediction was 11. So, yeah, yeah. but I, I this team is not capable of a blowout. Yeah. Also, just remember that Drew Bine is not Cam Rising, so yeah. it's a different challenge. Uh, Hector says, could Riley leave for the NFL after this? Oh, we're, we're not going there. We're, 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 we're not going. If I'm Lincoln Riley and I wanted to leave for the NFL, I would not have taken the USC job. Because if Lincoln he Riley... could have gotten any job that he wanted in the NFL. Last year, if he wanted a job in the NFL, he could have gotten his job in the NFL. Uh, down Panoy, what was the most riled up Alicia has gotten this season? No, I think he was saying, was that the most riled oh, yeah. up? Uh, it might be, yeah. Was it? Maybe. I don't know. Right. Have I had good rants this year? I don't know. Mm, not not as much as the classic year. Not the classic, sure. uh, you know. Uh, Josh says, do you, do you think Winningham has already has his excuse or reason for the loss blaming the transfer portal? No, I just think that guys like Winningham and Shaw are sort of like, of a different generation and just complaining. And coaches are also going to look for whatever they can to motivate their guys yeah. uh, and pretend that they're not the defending Pac-12 champion and yeah. uh, get the chip on the shoulder, et cetera. Yeah. Um, Orkaleth, uh says, does anyone bring up how the NFL teams benefit from the drafter trades? <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Um, let's go to a question for uh, Dave the Greater. Do you, do you really think we need names in the lower right-hand corner of your individual screens? Do you think the robots are that dumb? You never know. Hey, Dave, we've got new we've got new viewers, new listeners. They might not know us. The the key to podcasting, they say, is remember that this is someone's first time ever listening to you. Yes. And someone has to look at my ugly face and decide if they're going to keep listening. So, unfortunately, we have to put we we have to put it there. They they th- then again, people like Alicia better. So maybe if I put Alicia on my thing, <laughs> they true. would like me better. Hey, I'm the one in the comments getting called not a true Trojan. So, you know, well, questions there. I mean, I did go to Notre Dame. You, you did go to Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, Josh says, "How funny will it be when the Sooners' five-star receiver who just entered the portal ends up at SC?" Uh. <laughs> I guess the question is, what receivers will USC accept from the portal? Because um, that's not always going to be. SC is a million of them as it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and guys coming in as freshmen. West Texas Mike says, if they if they print new jerseys of retired numbers, would I be able to bid on one of the old ones? I don't know, but that's we cool. need that would a be backdrop cool. in our in our studio here. Who do we want? Who do we want? I mean. Number eleven for me, but I mean, I'm, hmm. there's, there's. Oh, think God. about the. Mm, I'm not mm. gonna say it. Not gonna say it. Hmm. Not gonna say it. All right, let's end there. Been an hour and forty five minutes. Uh, there's 150 of you still on. We appreciate you guys as always. Be sure to subscribe to the show, like the stream. It helps grow the show as well. Uh, USC and Utah lock and horns 5 p.m. Big Fox on Friday night. And of course, we will be live after the game. And Alicia, 
what are we doing? We're, we're going to do a, a, a Sunday show too. A, um, uh, should, should we do a, a, a uh, rankings thing? I think we should. We should do a live rankings thing like while the show is no. 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 That'd be weird. I will be working. Uh so yeah, maybe maybe not like a live thing, but we can do a reaction. We can probably just save it till Monday too, but we'll figure it out. I don't know. Uh West Texas Mike, uh you might think that, but not what I was saying, not what I was saying. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll be back uh next time. And until then, or we'll be back uh Saturday night or Friday night with the Kirkcast. So until then, see ya. See ya. Make your make your over under picks. We'll we'll throw the link over in the uh, in in the show notes. So uh, make your under over picks, folks. Until then, we'll see ya. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer.